and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hi, Julia. Hello, Lauren. Julia, my (laughs) (laughs) co-host. So if you listened to our last episode, (laughs) you almost heard us break up. Yes, it was devastating. And I got a lot of flack for it online. I did. I got so much shit, man. Can I tell you? But I have good news. Okay. Well, first of all, for those of us who don't follow us on Twitter, after we recorded that episode and Julia screamed and screamed at me, um, we had a, an offline conversation where I admitted to her that I probably have seen it. It was on Comedy Central at some point in the past. That's true. But they I don't did remember used to play it. it all the time in the 90s. Oh, yeah. They played it all the time. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't remember, and I didn't do it on purpose, and I'm so, so sorry. And I think she, like, begrudgingly forgave me. And then two days later, I realized there's a package on my front doorstep. (laughs) And inside the package was a DVD of Clue. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was a very pointed gesture. And I am happy to say that Steve and I watched it last night. Um, And you have only good things to say. It was okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it was, it was great. We laughed and laughed. It was wonderful. And, um, we couldn't get the DVD player to work. So I, we only got to watch one ending. Okay. So then I went onto YouTube and I watched the other two. So we have a full clue experience. Okay. Wonderful. Um, I think, uh, my favorite part was, um, communism is just a red herring. And Steve and I laughed every single time because I think it shows up in at least two, if not all three of the final endings. When someone says something to Madeline Kahn and she screams like just a little bit. Ah, yeah, like that. Like, mm-hmm. ah, and, but her face doesn't change. We laughed our asses <laughs> off every time. It was too Ugh. funny. I mean, you can't go wrong with Madeline Kahn. But. And can we talk about this perfect unplanned transition that we have here? What? Okay. There's an unplanned transition. So... Here on Misinformation, we're debuting a new segment tonight. A very new, a brand new, fresh, brand new, fresh segment called Real Funny Ladies. So, okay, I'm I'm excited about this. The plan Uh here's what I'm envisioning for you, Lauren, and for all of our listeners. (laughs) This is is the first time I'm hearing this. Yes. Uh, So that. You know, whenever we choose to do this segment, we're going to pick like a really awesome comedian in either historical or present day or whatever. Okay. And we're going to tell people about them and the things they should know about them and a couple of their most important um, works, the reasons why you should know them. And for the debut part, for the debut subject of our segment, I picked Madeline Kahn. Oh, of course. Yay. She's so great. So. Here, here we are. Okay. Real funny ladies. So, uh, Madeline Kahn. Mm-hmm. She was born as Madeline Gail Wolfson in 1942 in Boston. She was the daughter of Bernard Wolfson, a garment manufacturer, and his wife, Frida. Her parents divorced, and she and her mother moved to New York City, and then her mother married a fellow named Hiller Kahn, who later adopted Madeline. Mm. So she went to boarding school in Pennsylvania for several years while her mother pursued an acting career, and then Madeline began performing in school productions when she moved back to Queens for high school. She went to Hofstra University, where she studied drama, music, and speech therapy. And to earn money while in college, Kahn was a singing waitress at a Bavarian restaurant in New York's Hudson Valley. 
She sang musical comedy numbers during shows, and then she began auditioning for professional acting roles shortly after graduation, and she briefly taught public school. She adopted the professional name, Madeline Kahn, and made her stage debut as a chorus girl in a revival of Kiss Me Kate. She appeared in several Broadway musicals and also sang opera. Her feature film debut was as Ryan O'Neill's hysterical fiancé in Peter Bogdanovich's screwball comedy, What's Up, Doc, in 1972. Uh, that starred Barbara Streisand. And then her film career continued with Paper Moon in 1973, mm-hmm. for which she received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, I didn't know that. So then, after that, so she's she's hot. Oh, right? yeah. She's, she's all of it. Close succession of Mel Brooks-directed comedies followed, including Blazing Saddles mm-hmm. in 1974, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Uh, and High Anxiety in 1977. So um, in... Blazing Saddles. She played the German-accented cabaret singer Lily von Stupp. Uh, her nickname was also the Teutonic Titwillow. Oh, my. Um, and for that, she was again nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. So um, her last collaboration with Mel Brooks was in 1981's History of the World Part One, where she memorably played Empress Nympho. Uh, her roles were primarily comedic rather than dramatic, and Mel Brooks boasted that she could do anything she was asked but was modest and shy in person. Her other memorable films include playing Mrs. White in Clue in 1985 and the voice of Gussie Mouseheimer in American Tale in 1986. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Uh, in 1987, she won a daytime Emmy for her performance in the ABC after school special Wanted, The Perfect Guy, which I then had to go look up because I was of like, course. what is this? So here was the, here was the synopsis of that. Sensing that his widow mom, Ellie, is lonely and looking for companionship, fatherless 13-year-old Danny Coleman places a personal ad for the perfect guy. No, that's terrible. And do you know who played her son in this? Ben Affleck. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> ben Affleck? Yeah. What? Yeah. He's been acting that long? Oh, yeah. Oh, he he started young. He was on like the, oh gosh, what was that PBS show with the, it was a ship Adventures of the something. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. I'll remember it in like 12 minutes. I don't know it, so yeah. Okay. The Voyage of the Mimi. Wow. Yeah. I have never heard of that. very young. Wow, okay. Something I learned about Ben Affleck. So, Madeline, she gets her daytime Emmy for Wanted, the perfect guy. That's Uh, Returned to stage and won a Tony Award for playing Dr. Gorgeous Teitelbaum in Wendy Wasserstein's 1993 play, The Sisters Rosen's Wig. Oh, jeez. And in one 1993 interview, Madeline said, I can't even really tell a joke. I find being funny very hard work. Oh. But that's not true at all. No, she was, she was hysterical. Um, she developed ovarian cancer in 1998, and she underwent treatment while continuing to work on the sitcom Cosby, where for three years she played next-door neighbor Pauline. And then she married her longtime companion, John Hansberry, in October 1999. Um, unfortunately, the disease spread rapidly, and she died on December 3rd, 1999, at age 57. Oh, the world lost. Sad. Great comedic talent. She then. was just so funny and so cute. So I am going to play a couple of clips that you should know her for. Um, so in Blazing Saddles, she plays Lily von Stupp again. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this character was at least in part inspired by Marlene Dietrich. Um, okay. So Lily von Stupp is a German seductress for hire in a frontier town in Rock Ridge. So um, this is part of the song "I'm Tired." I've been with thousands of men again and again. They promise the moon. They're always coming and going and going and coming. And always too soon. 
<laughs> she was so cute. Oh, I'm sad that we lost her so early. And then, of course, my favorite Madeline Conroll is in Clue, mm. mm-hmm. where she plays Mrs. White, who's the mysterious widow who's married five times. She's dressed all in black at the dinner party. And when Wadsworth is telling the group how he thinks it all went down, she gives her very famous flame speech. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths. (laughs) That was a good part. I really enjoyed that. And that was not, um, that was only one of the endings. So the first two, I was like, did I miss that part? Because I know it's coming. So now I know. So that was the premiere of the segment. Real funny ladies. That was great. A nice homage to our Madeline Kahn. Yes. Um, Okay. So since I talked about Madeline Kahn, naturally the transition here is to talk about uh, Genghis Khan. Genghis. Is that your topic? That's my topic this week. Oh my gosh. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Damn. So, the man who would later be known to the world as Genghis Khan mm-hmm. was born around 1162. Oh. He was originally named Temujin, which means of iron or blacksmith. Um, he That's actually, like my name. My last name means Smith in Italian. Oh, blacksmith? <laughs> yeah, blacksmith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I interrupted can... you. I apologize. <laughs> Let me make this about me, Julia. Can I please... <laughs> Can we please make this about me? Anyway, I'm sorry. Temujin. Temujin. Iron. So he, um, he actually didn't get the honorific name Genghis Khan until 1206 uh, when he was proclaimed leader of the Mongols at a tribal meeting known as a Kurultai. So while Khan is a traditional title, meaning leader or ruler, historians are still unsure of the origins of Genghis. And it is usually translated as supreme ruler or universal ruler. Um, We often see it spelled G-E-N-G-H-I-S, but sometimes it is also spelled um, C-H-I-N-G-G-I-S. Genghis Khan. So it's a little like Caesar, Tsar-ish kind of thing. Okay. So uh, when I am talking about him before he got the name, I will refer to him as Temujin. Okay, great. Okay. So f- <laughs> from an early age, Temujin dealt with the brutality of life on the Mongolian steppe. Uh, Yusuge, who was his father, had arranged a marriage for him and delivered him at age nine to the family of his future wife, Bort, from a neighboring <laughs> tribe. <laughs> Um, so Temujin had to live there and serve as the head of the household until marrying age, which in the 12th century was age 12. Okay. Yeah. They let you get to double digits. Yeah. That's older than I was going to guess. I was going to say nine. Oh my gosh. So, uh, a rival clan poisoned his father when Temujin was nine and his own tribe later expelled his family and left his mother to raise her seven children alone. So upon learning this, Temujin returned home to claim his father's position as chief of their tribe Mm. at like age nine, you know, Jeez. Uh, But the tribe refused this and they abandoned the family, leaving it without protection. And Temujin grew up hunting and foraging to survive. And supposedly, as an adolescent, he may have even murdered his own half-brother in a dispute over food. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a tough time. He's grown up up quick, our Temujin. Yeah. It's a a hard scrabble life there on the Mongolian steppe. 
those, in the 12th century. <laughs> those furry cows, right? Yaks? There's, yeah, yaks. Yeah. Are they yaks? Mongolian yaks. Ooh. I always see I always see pictures from National Geographic of those beautiful chubby cheeked babies Aww. next to fuzzy yaks. Aww. So it seems like Mongolia is a very like like lovely Mayberry like place, but I I'm apparently <laughs> yes, very wrong. That's a great parallel. <laughs> Mayberry, <laughs> Mongolia. They both start with M, therefore equal. Perfect. Uh so Temujin married Bort when he was around I'm gonna say it like that every time. Bort. Yeah, with okay. a hard T. Mm-hmm. Um, when when he was about 16 in order to cement alliances between their two tribes. And soon after the marriage, Bort was kidnapped and reportedly Jeez. then also like given away as a wife to somebody else. Um, Temujin, who was also captured, spent time as a slave before making a daring escape. Um, Temujin actually rescued his wife with the help of his friend and future rival, Jamuka. Bort gave birth to a son named Jochi, who was born in 1185. Um uh, she gave birth nine months after they helped her escape. So there was a little bit of speculation over the parentage of Uh-oh. Jochi. Uh, but Bort remained Temujin's only empress during his lifetime, though he did follow tradition by taking several morganatic wives. Uh, do you know what a morganatic marriage or a morganatic wife is? I, I'm, a, I'm going to use context clues and assume that that means that they were more than one, like a harem type Situation. Kind of. So okay. um, a morganatic marriage is also called a left-handed marriage. Um, it is a marriage between people of unequal social rank, oh. uh, which in the context of royalty prevents the passage of the husband's titles and privileges to the wife and also to any children who are born of the marriage. So usually neither the bride nor any children of the marriage have a claim on the bridegroom's succession rights, titles, precedence, or entailed property. Okay. So basically in his case, it was like Bort was his Real wife. And then, like, also he had some other wives on the side. But, like, she was the main She one. was the one who was going to get all the, the privileges yeah. and the... Okay. So, um, an ex- kind of an example to, of this in modern era that we might recognize. Uh, so, in 1936, Edward VIII informed the British Prime Minister that he intended to marry the American divorcee Wallace Simpson, provi- mm-hmm. proposing that he be allowed to do so morganatically and remain king. I see. Uh, so, the Prime Minister expressed his belief that Mrs. Simpson would be unacceptable to the British people as queen, but agreed to take further soundings about it. And the prospect of the marriage was rejected by the British cabinet. So, their options would have been, one, a royal marriage, which everyone was like, was like no. absolutely not. Two, a morganatic marriage. So, like, he would have still been king but she wouldn't have been able to retain any of the rights yeah or three abdication by edward the eighth and we know what he chose yeah nazis i mean <laughs> abdication also not three b nazis <laughs> so um temujin and bort they're married yeah. uh bort had three more sons with him uh chagatai who was born in 1187 Ogade, who was born in 1189, and Tolui, born in 1190. Oh, I like that. Tolui. Such, Sounds such... like he's got a personality. <laughs> he's the youngest, so, you know. Yeah, you know, he was a terror. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Tolui. Oh, he's running around the steps, climbing on those hairy yaks and riding off into the sunset. I'm really creating a really, Yeah, this is nice. Like a visual narrative wow. here. Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, despite all of the hardships and the drama that they mm-hmm. faced, Temujin had established himself as a formidable warrior and leader by his 20s. He began forging alliances with the heads of important tribes and amassed some powerful allies. Mm. In the early 13th century, the Central Asian Plateau north of China was divided into several tribes of confederation that were all prominent and often unfriendly toward each other, as evidenced by their plundering, random raids, sure. and like yeah. revenge attacks. Oh my. As Temujin and his old friend Jumuka drifted apart in their friendship, each oh, no. began consolidating power and they became rivals. Oh no, not Jamuka. Jamuka supported the traditional Mongolian aristocracy, while Temujin followed a meritocratic method and attracted a broader range and lower class of followers. He basically came to power by uniting many of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia. Um, his system of law, known as the Yasa, Y-A-S-S-A, prohibited theft, adultery, blood feuds, and bearing false witness. And to enforce his law, Temujin ordered the creation of a writing system based on the Uyghur alphabet, and that is spelled U-Y-G-H-U-R, Uyghur. Uyghur. <laughs> Uh, so this wasn't the first writing system in Asia, but it was the first one to be widely adopted and taught to the, like, the masses. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So now it's 1206. Temujin had successfully consolidated the steppe confederations and began to turn his attention to outside conquest. Oh. It resulted in peace between previously warring tribes in his country and a single political and military force. This union became known as the Mongols. And at this time, he received the honorific Genghis Khan. Nice. So, Genghis Khan ruled over some one million people. Wow. Holy. Wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was that many. Yeah. Uh, To suppress the traditional causes of tribal warfare, he abolished inherited aristocratic titles. He promoted people based on individual merit rather than the feudal system. And he also forbade the selling and kidnapping of women. Yay. Oh, yay. Uh, Banned the enslavement of any Mongol. Also, yay. Sure, great. And made livestock theft punishable by death. Oh, Gotta okay. protect your yaks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a little bit of overkill, well, though. You know, you should at least you lose... You probably only had one yak. Oh, if yeah, someone that's stole true. It, you yeah. were like... Then you're yakless. You're, and where are you going to get your yak That's not where you want to be in Mongolia. No. And your yak cheeses? No yak cheeses. <laughs> yak cheese tastes like hmm i bet it's, I bet good. it's sour oh i was gonna say salty salty and sour <laughs> Yeesh. if you've had yak cheese yeah please, please contact us i am very curious this info button let us know yeah i'm curious maybe it's sour and salty it's like a sour salt <laughs> anyway yak yeah. cheese uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what tra- I'm talking about. Your transition here. Sure. Uh, again, Genghis Khan adopted um, the writing system. Um, he also conducted a regular census, granted diplomatic immunity to foreign ambassadors, and allowed freedom of religion well before that idea caught on elsewhere. Uh, oh. Genghis Khan embraced the diversity of his newly conquered territories, and he passed laws declaring religious freedom for all and even granted tax exemptions to places of worship. This what? guy sounds pretty great, doesn't yeah, he? he does. I was going to say, you know we'll what? Get there. This guy gets a bad <laughs> <laughs> he seems awesome. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, and also, instead of executing rival soldiers, Genghis Khan often absorbed them into his army. Again, and rather than hoard food and money and goods that he gained through conquering, Genghis Khan gave it to his soldiers and commanders who were otherwise prohibited from looting without permission. And then they were able to like inject all this back into the economy. Mm. So he's looking, yeah, he's looking pretty good. Um, oh, Genghis Khan. <laughs> Here's a thing you should know about. Oh, him. Okay. Okay. Uh, he had about 500 secondary wives and consorts. No. Even though Bort was his life companion, he had 
Um, a lot of other children with these other wives. Oh, God. Um, but they were excluded from the line of succession, sure, sure. obviously. Only Bort's sons were continued to be his heirs. Um, Genghis Khan is said to have fathered at least 1,000 no. children. No. Possibly as many as 2,000 no. children. From maybe as many as 3,000 wives. No. Stop it. That Who's got that kind of time? No one. That's... Mm, that math that, is now. I up. mean, I think maybe like the maybe the weather and the and all of the yak meat yeah. was just no. very <laughs> again, there's only so much time in the day. You know what I mean? And this guy's running a uh, he's, he's running, running the Mongols. A, he's running a, an empire. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't have a lot of downtime. He couldn't possibly. <laughs> That's exhausting. Genetic analysis has shown oh, no. that Genghis Khan is a male line ancestor of 0.5% no. of the world's what? population. What? What? Oh my God. I don't know if they're testing for that is uh, exactly on Ancestry they DNA. They should do that. <laughs> they should. Like, there should be, like, you know, Scandinavia, Western yeah. Europe, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan line. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I found that Shit. incredible. Yeah, that's mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, when people give me like crazy numbers, I tend to like err on the lower end of it. But yeah, absolutely. still, if he had a thousand children, that sounds like a Wint, Wilt Chamberlain like exaggeration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where so he had a guy because he, you know, he had the whole uh-huh. writing thing. So I rewrote down stuff and he was like, if you're going to learn, I'm going to teach you how to write, but you're going to make sure that you write down how many wives I had, <laughs> how many kids I had. That's true. I didn't think about it that yeah. way. Yeah, think about it. He is the first person to really brand himself in a major way <laughs> into history. Positive spin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you should know that Kubla Khan, who is another famous Mongol leader, was his grandson. Like, oh, direct grandson. Oh, so, that's good to know that he was later. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So here we go. We're, let's go conquer other stuff. Let's okay? do it. He's bored. So Gameson, he's bored. He... <laughs> He's already he already got to like four of the wives today. Yeah, he had it. He has to go travel. Had some orange juice and a banana, and was like, "Let's do something else." Let's do this. <laughs> so his first campaign outside of Mongolia took place against the Shisha Kingdom of northwestern China. After a series of raids, the Mongols launched a major initiative in 1209 that brought them to the doorstep of Yinchuan, the Shisha capital. Unlike other armies, the Mongols traveled with no supply train other than a large reserve of horses. Uh, the army consisted almost entirely of cavalrymen who were expert riders and deadly with blow, with boas and arrows. And at Yinchuan, the Mongols deployed one of their signature attacks, a false withdrawal, uh, and then initiated a siege. So like, oh, you guys are going to beat us. I guess we're going to go home. Bye. Bye. And then <laughs> attack. Attack and yeah. snuck around. Yep. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it took them like, it took people like a while to catch on. <laughs> They weren't, well, you know, maybe they didn't They're think like, about it too much. They're leaving. Yay, bye. Well, I bet Genghis Khan knew a lot about a false withdrawal. Am I right? <laughs> hey oh, My parents are listening to this. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, the Mongols next attacked the Jin Dynasty of northern China, whose ruler had made the mistake of demanding Genghis Khan's submission. Oh, no. So, like, if I know anything about this guy, it's like, it's like, don't diss him. <laughs> yeah. Do not step 
to Genghis Khan or he is going to come He's going to come your doorstep. at you. Yeah. So from 1211 to 1214, the outnumbered Mongols ravaged the countryside and sent Jeez. refugees pouring into the cities. Oh so food shortages became a problem and the Jin army ended up killing tens of thousands of its own peasants. What? And in 1214, the Mongols besieged the capital of Zhangdu, now Beijing, and the Jin ruler agreed to hand over large amounts of silk, silver, gold, and horses. And when the Jin ruler moved his court south to the city of Kaifeng, uh, Genghis Khan took this as a breach of their agreement and with the help of the Jin deserters, sacked Zhangdu to the ground. Oh my God. So... He is don't like, diss him and don't like back out yeah. on your agreements, man. He is an all or nothing guy. Yeah. <laughs> In the 1210s, the Khwarezmid Empire, that's K-H-W-A-R-E-Z-M-I-D. Oh my gosh. The Khwarezmid Empire in Iran. It was thriving and positioned to be a lucrative trading partner with the dominant Mongol Empire. But Khwarezm's emperor, Allah ad-Din Muhammad Il didn't trust Genghis Khan. No. So when one of Khwarazm's governors began executing Mongol traders traveling along the Silk Road, the emperor refused to apologize to Khan. But still hoping for a cordial relationship, Khan responded by sending an emissary of three ambassadors to meet with him. Uh, The emperor made them wait for weeks before finally granting them an audience. Mistake. But after welcoming the men into his throne room, Muhammad had their beards set on fire (gasps) and then beheaded the lead ambassador. (laughs) This was a bad idea. Bad move. Genghis Khan... Didn't Not like happy. It. Not happy. Oh my he God. repaid the insult by sending 300,000 Mongol horsemen no. storming across oh. the Khwarezmid Empire, essentially wiping it off the map. So this was a what? whole, this was a big empire in Iran, and this guy insulted Genghis Khan. <laughs> so they were like, all right, you're gone. And then never a Khwarezmid people. That's why it's so hard to pronounce. You because no one has ever heard of it, because Genghis Khan literally wiped it off the yes. place of the earth. Yep. This guy. Yep. He's he's very, like, a very big sense of, like, right and wrong. Well, you know what it is? I mean, not to armchair psychologist this, but, you know, you lose your daddy at a young age. You're constantly looking for validation from someone. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that means wiping off an entire culture because you're just mad. And you didn't have a dad to give you a little little snuggle hug and say, I'm proud of you, son. So... There you have it. You know, daddies stay in your children's lives. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an academic, but that sounds right to me. (laughs) You heard it here. Yeah, you heard it here first. So (laughs) he leaves Iran. Yeah. It's it's his now. Yeah. It's Um, it's dust. So uh, by the time Genghis Khan returned to Mongolia in 1225, he controlled a swath of territory from the Sea of Japan all the way to the Caspian Sea. Oh, my God. So if you if you know where the Caspian Sea is, yeah. that's like the other side of Russia and like mm-hmm. Scandinavia. So he took like he was just uh, he was just in Mongolia and he t- slowly spread. He got China. He got parts of like. Oh, my gosh. Western Asia. Then he made his way into like the, per- you know, the Persian area. So it's like a, an entire swath of Asia, like yes. the breadbasket of Asia. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Exactly. Um, he did not rest for long before no. turning his attention back to the Tanguts of the Western Sha Kingdom of China, which had refused to contribute troops to the Khwarazm invasion. Oh. So he was like, well, you guys no. didn't help out. I'm coming back. <laughs> Time to go. So. Oh, boy. The traditional narrative 
says that he died in 1227 from injuries sustained in a fall from a horse. But other sources list everything from malaria to an arrow wound in his knee. Um, years before his death, Genghis Khan asked to be buried without markings according to the customs of his tribe. So oh. after he died, his body was returned to Mongolia and presumably to his birthplace in Kenti Imeg, where many assume he is buried somewhere close to the Onan River and the Kenti Mountain Range. According to legend... <gasps> The funeral escort killed anyone and anything across their path to conceal where he was finally buried. Oh my gosh. And the Genghis Khan mausoleum constructed many years after his death is his memorial, but not his burial site. Mm. And the tomb is most likely on or around a Mongolian mountain called Birkin Kaldun. But to this day, its precise location is unknown. That's crazy. Yeah. So basically, so he became Genghis Khan in 1206. Uh, he died in 1227. So in like a 21 year, 21, yeah. 21 year span, he basically took over Western Asia. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Imagine what would have happened if he, if he lived, if, if he, he lived. lived any longer. No. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with some more crazy facts about, Please do. about Genghis Khan. Um, he created the first international postal system. No. What? So knowledge was power in Genghis Khan's empire, and that's why one of his first orders as ruler was the creation of a Pony Express-like courier system known as the Yam. <laughs> so I know. <laughs> uh, is it the Yak American Mail? Is that what it is? That, that must be it. Yes. Yak Alliance. Excuse me, because no, there was no American. So it's the Yak Alliance Mail. <laughs> the Yak Alliance Mail. <laughs> Riders carried messages across a network of huts and could cover as much as 200 miles a day by constantly changing wow. mounts. In addition to delivering messages, riders could also act as scouts who could monitor enemy forces and keep tabs on assimilated towns and cities. Oh, that's smart. Um, again, between 1206 and his death in 1227, uh, he conquered nearly 12 million square miles of territory, Jeez. more than any other individual in history. Oh my gosh. Uh, no contemporary portraits or sculptures of him have survived, and what little information historians do have is often contradictory or unreliable. Mm -hmm. uh, most accounts describe him as tall and strong with a flowing mane of hair and a long bushy beard. Of course. Um, but perhaps the most surprising description comes courtesy of the 14th century Persian chronicler Rashid al-Din, who claimed Genghis had red hair and green eyes. <gasps> that kind of gives you like a real different like image of him, I guess. Oh my God. If he's like a ginger, um, angry ginger, just, just like... <laughs> Taken. You know what? That 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 explains a lot. <laughs> that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna go with. Wow. <laughs> so wait, so wait. So he turned his eyes back to China and then he died in Yeah, he died oh, he in, died on the he way died back. in a battle in China. Oh, yeah, I see, on his okay. way back to Mongolia. I got mm -hmm. you, I got you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Um how old was he when he died? Uh so he was born in eleven sixty two. Okay. So died he was in twelve twenty seven. So like he was 65 yeah he was older yeah. yeah yeah so he died at a an appropriate age i yeah. guess for that time all right great yeah it's pretty good man <laughs> uh so genghis khan credited with bringing the silk road under one cohesive political environment this oh, allowed increased communication and trade between the west middle east and asia thus expanding the horizons of all three cultural areas and like paving the way for yeah. like the silk road and trading and marco polo and mm -hmm. all, all this, that all that stuff yep um, so the Soviets, you know, in the yeah, 20th century, heard of them. they, uh, they tried to suppress the Khan's memory by removing his story from school textbooks and forbidding people from making pilgrimages to his birthplace in Kenti. And Genghis Khan was eventually restored to Mongolian history after the country won independence in the early 1990s. And he's since become a recurring motif in art and popular culture. Yeah, I bet. So basically when the Soviets had that whole area, mm -hmm. they were like, this guy... 
he was too good. <laughs> you can't. You, He's going to make not Putin allowed to look teach bad. People about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And while it's impossible to know for sure how many people perished during the Mongol conquest, many historians put the number at somewhere around 40 million. Oh, my gosh. So that's where the, like, the whole, like, that bad guy <laughs> comes in. Um, censuses from the Middle Ages show that the population of China plummeted by tens of millions during Genghis Khan's lifetime. And scholars estimate that he may have killed a full three-fourths of modern-day Iran's what? population during his war with the Khorezmid Empire. Oh, and my God. All told, the Mongols' attacks may have reduced the entire entire world population by as much as 11 <laughs> percent oh uh, that's like several <laughs> generations of people oh my god uh, mongolians awful. maintain that the historical records written by non-mongolians are utterly unfairly biased um, against Genghis khan what? and that his butchery is greatly exaggerated while his positive role is underrated uh, okay i mean sure <laughs> the yam great written word fabulous great. i mean replaced a lot of the people that he killed with a bunch of kids i guess That's true it I was kind of like chopping down trees and then like planting new ones <laughs> yeah. but in in your image so it's like the best <laughs> possible i know right that's when a little you think e- about it like that i know a it's little, a little eugenic yeah. i'm not gonna yeah <laughs> we're not gonna get into that oh, but wow wow let me hit you with some more bonus coverage about the Mongol Empire. Oh, please. Just in general. So um, it was the largest contiguous land empire in history existing during the 13th and 14th centuries. Again, it originated in the steppes of Central Asia, um, and it eventually stretched from Eastern Europe and parts of Central Europe all the way to the Sea of Japan, extending northwards into Siberia, east and south into the Indian subcontinent and the Iranian plateau, and westwards as far as the Carpathians. Uh, the empire grew rapidly under Genghis Khan's rule and that of his descendants, who sent invasions in every direction. And the vast transcontinental empire connected the east with the west with an enforced Pax Mongolica, allowing the dissemination and exchange of trade technology technologies, commodities, and ideologies across Eurasia. The empire began to split due to wars over succession as the grandchildren Uh of Genghis Khan disputed whether the royal line should follow from his first son and initial heir or from one of his other sons. So a key reason for the split was the dispute over whether the Mongol Empire would become a sedentary cosmopolitan empire or if it would stay true to their nomadic and steppe lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And by the time of Kublai Khan, who was his grandson, by the time of Kublai Khan's death in 1294, the Mongol Empire had fractured into four separate khanates or empires, mm-hmm. each pursuing its own separate interests and objectives. So we had the Mongol Empire and then it split into four. The Golden Horde in the Northwest, the Chagatai Khanate in Central Asia, the Ilkhanate in the southwest and the Yuan dynasty in the east based in modern day oh. Beijing. Okay. Yes, I've heard so of So it Yuan started dynasty. to fracture and then that was really the downfall of it. Yeah. By, yep. by, by the time Kublai Khan died, it started to, to uh, spread out. Uh, the Secret History of the Mongols is the oldest surviving literary work in the Mongolian language. It was written for the Mongol royal family sometime after the 1227 death of Genghis Khan. And the author is anonymous and probably originally wrote in the Mongolian script, but surviving texts all derive from transcriptions or translations into Chinese characters that date from the end of the 14th century and that were compiled during the Ming Ming dynasty. Uh, So the secret history of the Mongols is regarded as the single most significant native Mongolian account of Genghis Khan. Wow. Linguistically, it provides the richest source of pre-classical Mongolian in Middle Mongolian. And the secret history is regarded as a piece of classic literature in both Mongolia and the rest of the world. Wow. That's amazing. 
And then finally, near modern-day Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital of Mongolia, is a 131-foot-tall statue of Genghis Khan on a horse. It is the world's largest equestrian statue. Yes. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Wasn't that on, um, that was at Trivia once, wasn't it? Maybe? An image of it? Yeah. yeah. Sure. She's just gesturing at me in an encouraging way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have yeah. seen pictures of this. Yeah. Yes. So it's the world's largest equestrian statue. Great. Is of Genghis Khan on a horse. He deserves In it. Mongolia. He killed a lot of people. <laughs> he killed a lot of people. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. So uh, that's what I want you to know about, about Genghis Khan. That's amazing. In Mongolia. Man, I'm going to chew on that for a while. That's, that's some... Rather that's some than some yak fat. Yeah. Mmm. Sour and salty. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So time for my quiz. So I talked oh, to you excited. about Madeline Khan. Yeah. I talked to you about Genghis Khan. Sure. My quiz is called Cons and Cons. It's a quiz on words that start with C-O-N and instances <laughs> of wrath in pop culture. Oh my god, that's so good. Question one. During the televised coverage of the 2014 Winter Olympic Games in Sochi, celebrated NBC host Bob Costas ended up with not one, but two cases of pink eye. What is the formal medical term for this inflammation of the outermost layer of the white part of the eye and the inner surface of the eyelid? Question two. The Grapes of Wrath is a celebrated American realist novel by John Steinbeck that tells of the Jode family's travels from the Dust Bowl to California during the Great Depression. The title for this book, however, was inspired by lyrics in what American patriotic song written by Julia Ward Howe? Question three. The continental governing body for association football, a.k.a. soccer, in North America, which includes Central America and the Caribbean region, is known by what acronym? Question four. Gotta have a multiple choice question. In what long-running, still popular handheld video game series would you find an evolved creature called a polyrath? A, Pokemon, B, Legend of Zelda, C, Super Smash Brothers, or D, Final Fantasy? Question five. One of the biomes which covers Mongolia is a taiga, which is characterized by which type of forest, consisting mostly of pines, spruces, and larches? Question six. Wrath of the Titans is a 2012 sequel to what 2010 film and remake where the demigod Perseus, played by Sam Worthington, gathers a war band to help him conquer the Kraken, Medusa, and Hades? Question 7. Think back to fifth grade science. If I'm talking to you about a lens that curves in or is hollowed inward, what type of lens am I referencing? Question 8. Let's talk about manga. There's a Japanese shonen manga series about Edward and Alphonse Elric, who attempt to bring their mother back from the dead using a medieval forerunner of chemistry. In this manga series, the homunculus refers to the eight individuals who make up the primary antagonists, each named after the seven deadly sins, including Wrath. It's not a Stanley Kubrick joint, but can you name me this manga series? Question 9. What 1993 science fiction comedy film starring Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin was based on Saturday Night Live sketches about aliens from the planet Remulac stranded on Earth? And finally, question 10. In 2008, the book Star Trek and Philosophy was published, presenting 21 professional philosophers probing the limits of the limitless, expanding our knowledge of the furthest reaches of thought, and diving deep into the human essence. Think of Emmanuel's categorical imperative and the theme of this quiz. What is the subtitle of this book? I'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers. 
man. I know a couple. I know a couple yeah. of these. All right. It'll be great. All right. Question one. Okay. During the 24 Olympic Games in Sochi, Bob <laughs> Cop just had not one, but two pig guys. What is the formal medical term for this? That's conjunctivitis. It sure is. And I know this because I had it too often in college. Oh. There was a very long stretch of time where I had it in both eyes or one eye or whatever. It's they had from to give... not washing your hands. Lauren. No, I was a clean person. Okay. I think it... it's from other people not washing their well, hands. Well, I don't then. know who's putting their hands in my eyes while I was sleeping, but I had it a lot. And <laughs> that's a really terrible image. I don't like do... someone's that's probably into... sub... probably probably somebody's done that. Like Ew. like a prowler to the me. Pink eye prowler. Oh no, in real <laughs> no in life. Oh, for a second, I was like, do you know something that I don't know? The pink eye prowler. I kind of love that. <laughs> we should write a short story about that. Um, yeah. And they gave, it was so bad that they gave me this, these like sulfurous eye drops. Ooh, yeah. And then they burned like oh. a bitch, but they cleared me up like that. Um, but yeah, it was super gross. Conjunctivitis. Yeah. I still haven't read that oral history of oh, Bob, Bob Costas having it's pink pretty eye. funny. So yeah, it. there is, um, there is a person on the internet. I, her name escapes me right now. We'll tweet out the link to it. That she was like, you know what? Sometimes I just really think about that time that Bob Costas had pink eye at the Olympics. <laughs> and then she went and and wrote an oral history of it and interviewed all these different people. Oh and my it gosh, was I awesome. love that. Was it Kelly Conaboy? Yeah, Kelly, Kelly Conaboy. Yeah, um, she's great. Yeah, it was so funny. Very funny. We'll tweet out a link about that. Um, also. Re- in re conjunctivitis, yeah. do not recommend going to the Wikipedia page for that. <gasps> oh, I it bet is. there's a lot of photos. <laughs> oh, some gross photos of pusses and things. Oh, Lauren. I'm sorry, but that's what happened. I just said I don't recommend going to it. <laughs> <Sorry>. Okay. <laughs> I won't paint a visual picture uh, with my words. Question two. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. The title for this book was inspired by lyrics in what American patriotic song written by Julia Ward Howe? <sighs> So you're giving away my topic for next week. Oh, spoilers. But I, and I know this because I was doing my research on it. Is it like, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of yes. the Lord? I don't uh-huh. remember what it's called, though. Um, It's the Battle Hymn of the Republic. The Battle Hymn of mm-hmm. the Republic. It, I have also known as mine eyes have seen the glory. Outside oh, okay, of the United States, it's known as that. Oh, see, because so, I'm yeah. such an Anglophile. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, so the lyrics are by the American writer Julia Ward Howe using music from the song John Brown's Body. Um, oh. Howe's more famous lyrics were written in November 1861 and first published in The Atlantic Monthly in February 1862. So the lyrics are, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosened the faithful lighting of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Okay. All right. I mean, it's pretty poetic. Yeah. No, it's like... Mm. trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. What are the grapes of wrath though? Hmm. Are they uh, angry ass angry grapes? grapes? Just angry, angry fruit. Angry grapes. <laughs> just so mad. Makes for terrible wine. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. It's just really it's bad, bad wine lines. Wine. We shouldn't mm. even bother making it. <laughs> it's a good thing the Lord has trampled on them. <laughs> His truth's marching on. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Uh, question three the continental governing body for association football aka soccer in north america including central america and the caribbean region is known by what acronym is it fifa is it fifa uh, what's the theme of this quiz is it con fifa <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun 
It's CONCACAF. Oh, I wasn't going to get okay. that. I wasn't so, going to get that. So uh, that stands for the Confederation of North Central American and Caribbean Association Football. Uh, CONCACAF's primary functions are to organize competitions for national teams and clubs and to conduct World Cup and Women's World Cup qualifying tournaments. Also very corrupt. <laughs> Like, yeah, all of them are. But sure. in recent years, they've been like, hey, we're missing like a half a million dollars. Like, well, and somebody's like flying in on their private jet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anytime mm. you get the Italians involved, you know what I mean? Like with Berlusconi, you know, they were like, I do not know where to put the money went. It's so weird. It's so weird. I made you a pizza. Move the decimal point. <laughs> Uh, question four, gotta have a multiple choice question. In what long running, still popular handheld video game series would you find an evolved creature called a polyrath? Is that Pokemon, Legend of Zelda, Super Smash Brothers, or Final Fantasy? I, uh, I'm i going to guess Pokemon. It is. Oh, good. Pokemon. Okay. I was Great. trying to give you a clue with gotta have a... Oh, okay. Choice question. Uh, yes, it is. It is a polyrath is a type of Pokemon, a water and fighting Pokemon. What does it look like? Is it ugly? Uh, so it is in a line that's like polywag and then a polywirl okay. and then a polyrath and a poly. It's like it's supposed to be like a water thing, like kind of like a frog. I'm getting our our engineers giving me. It's a, like no, you're wrong. Yeah, he's given it. All right, we'll describe it. Is it a frog or is it like a polywog? It's kind of like a frog, a blue frog with a big swirly stomach. Oh, I see. Okay, I saw a picture. It's angry. Thank you, engineer. Mm -hmm. We have images now. Yep. That, honestly, that looks like someone phoned in that drawing. Oh, man. that's And that's first generation Pokemon. Wait till you have like third generation Pokemon. Oh, he showed me one that was like a little girl that has one big pigtail. No. <laughs> Talk about what's that dirty. talks that the big, talk the, the pigtail no. talks <laughs> is a mouth. That is the <laughs> no. That is the yeah, stuff. They of really nightmares. phoned it in <laughs> by like seventh gen Pokemon. Okay. Oh my god! I'm looking at a picture of it right now. What's what? the name? It is. It has a mouth. <laughs> it's called a Maywile. Mawiley. <laughs> no one knows. What? Oh god! It gets gross. What is going yeah. on? First gen Pokemon. I hate it. Oh, I Way hate it cuter. so much. See, I never got into Pokemon. And mm -hmm. so this is like yeah. extra foreign to me. <laughs> There's just so many. If you kept playing, like Bobby and I played it on sure. our Game Boys. And I basically I played it because he wanted somebody else to be playing it so he could trade Pokemon. Yeah, of fine. course. Yeah. It was fine. It's I liked to play it because I was game. like collecting things. And yeah. he liked to play it to like fight to like battle things. Yeah. So like the first generation was 151 Pokemon. Done. That's a reason that, you know, maybe that's the, the maximum amount of something you can memorize. Great. Yeah. But then they kept adding more and more and more. And now they're on like eighth generation or something. And how are you supposed to keep track of all these things? Sorry, seventh generation. We're going to we have an expert on here the in the house. So <laughs> what the what? That's too many. They need to stop. Yeah. Let's just leave I'm us saying. be with what we've got now. <laughs> You know, because then you're coming up with stuff like a little girl yeah. with a talking pigtail. Yeah. Well, how, next will be just like a, a candle. It's just going to be stuff that they're looking around. They're like, uh, it's a pencil with teeth. <laughs> what? And it's got a. Yeah. And it's uh -huh. got like a, you know, they always have like a, don't they have like a uh, thing they say? Yeah. Like they don't talk. They, they don't say, say their names. They just say their names. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like. Pencil. Scritch, scritch. Like, Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, because that's I what it does. Listening. They, you should copy more, copyright I'd that. make more money if I just made Pokemans. <laughs> side, your side hustle. Yeah. What do you do, Lauren? Well, 
<laughs> I make Pokemon. <laughs> Not to brag. Oh, yeah. We're in a quiz right now. Oh, sorry. All right. Uh, <laughs> question five. One of the biomes which covers Mongolia is a taiga characterized by which type of forest consisting mostly of pines, spruces, and larches? Um, it's non-deciduous. Uh-huh. And I can never remember what that means. Uh, what letters does it start with? It starts with a conifer. Uh-huh. Conifer. Yeah. yeah. Coniferous forests. Yep. Our pine, spruces, and larches in a taiga. Great. Uh, question six. Wrath of the Titans is a 2012 sequel to what 2010 film and remake where the demigod Perseus, played by Sam Worthington, gathers a war band to help him conquer the Kraken, Medusa, and Hades. Like, all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is it Wrath of the Gods or like... Greek gods are like Hercules unleashed or what is, what's the name it's, of it? I don't uh, know. It's wrath of the Titans is the sequel to clash of the Titans clash of the Titans. Is that the one where, um, uh, where what's his name? Um, Irish actor, Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson. There's a lot of big actors in clash of the Titans, which is crazy to me, but Liam Neeson goes release the Kraken <laughs> and it's very yeah. incredible. Yes. He's amazing. So yeah, it's like Liam Neeson, Ray Fiennes, Mad Mickelson, like all oh these my guys. gosh. Um, the first movie did amazingly, so that's why they were like, "Yeah, let's do this sequel." Yeah. And then the sequel did not do amazingly. Even with the even with the Kraken in it. Yeah. Well, Hades I mean, they snowman? killed the Kraken in the first one. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh well, then yeah, you don't have a Kraken. That's <laughs> no your Kraken. problem. That's you should have saved the Kraken for the sequel. Yeah, exactly. Question seven. Think back to fifth grade science. If I'm talking about a lens that curves in or is hollowed inward, what type of lens am I referencing? That is a concave lens. Yes, it is. So concave or negative lenses will spread out light rays, while convex or positive lenses will focus light and conform an image. So convex lenses are usually thicker at the middle and curve outward. Um, Like a standard magnifying glass is a biconvex lens. Okay. Yeah. When it curves inward, it's a it's a concave lens. That's how I learned it. It was like it's in like a cave. Yeah, in a yeah. cave. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, question eight. Let's talk about manga. There's oh, a Japanese shonen manga series about Edward and Alphonse Elric who attempt to bring their mother back from the dead using a medieval forerunner of chemistry. And in this manga series, the homunculus refers to the eight individuals who make up the primary antagonists, each named after the seven deadly sins, including Wrath. It is not a Stanley Kubrick joint, but can you name me this manga series? That is Full Metal Alchemist. Yes. You know why? Because I used to work at a little bookstore that we'll call... Schmarns and bubble, and one of my jobs when I was shelving in sci-fi and fantasy was to make sure that manga was organized. And Ugh. can I tell you something? It was Teens never organized. And college kids are dicks when it comes oh, to manga because they wouldn't actually buy it. They would just come to Schmarns and Blobble and just like and read it read and it. steal it and yeah. steal it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Question nine. What 1993 science fiction comedy film starring Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin was based on Saturday Night Live sketches about aliens from the planet Remulac stranded on Earth? That's Coneheads. Yes, it was. (laughs) Um, uh, I like this. Janet Maslin, who reviewed it for the New York Times, said the film has its dopey charms and that it is suitable for people who found Wayne's World too demanding. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty good. That's a that's a good burn. That's a sick burn. I wa- I saw that movie at a very young age and found it charming. Yeah, but I think I saw it too young. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's good. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's not the worst of this. No, definitely films. not. Um, and finally, question ten. In two thousand eight, the book Star Trek and Philosophy was published, presenting twenty one professional philosophers. Uh, think of Emmanuel's categorical imperative and the theme of this quiz. So, what was the subtitle of this book? Oh, 
I do not know. Something about consciousness? Um, so it was called Star Trek and Philosophy, subtitled The Wrath of Kant. Oh, my God. So um, I'm shutting my eyes to this. Now. Yeah, sorry. So Kant's <laughs> categorical imperative denotes okay. an absolute unconditional requirement that must be obeyed in all circumstances and is justified as an end in itself. So that's like if you're just seeing the world in black and white and mm. you have this like this is your your rule and if you know it has to be obeyed, that's your categorical imperative. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also have some listener submitted trivia. Oh, good. I'm glad you do because I was gonna pick up my phone and see if I could find some because I know we've gotten we've gotten a yeah, lot recently. Thank you, everybody. Um, uh, we got one over email from um, one of my childhood friends yes. that I went to, mm-hmm. that I grew up with, um, Emma O. So um, <laughs> she uh, she studied nursing and anatomy mm-hmm. and all this stuff and loves it. And so um, after she heard our anatomy 101 episode, she wrote. Of a, f- a fun long email. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to read an excerpt of it. Please do. Okay. So Emma says, for starters, each muscle has an origin and insertion point where it begins and ends, if you will. So you talked about how bones can break down and regenerate with osteoblasts, osteocytes, and osteoclasts. This happens mostly in puberty and after breaking a bone. But another example is when a person performs a constant repetitive motion that causes the insertion point of a muscle to pull at the bone. And when this happens, new cells are generated and new bone is deposited, thus a bump forms on your bone. For example, professional catchers squat so much, they often develop knobby misshapen knees oh my god isn't that weird to think about that like your muscle is pulling on it and causing cells to generate yeah that's crazy that's really crazy um she also says in your body there is one muscle with an insertion point that isn't fixed it's called the temporalis Mm -hmm. aka the temporal muscle the muscle of mastication aka the one that helps you chew so you can feel this by touching at your temple and biting down oh my god and you can also trace the muscle up the side of your head and then it fans out over your skull. So it has no fixed insertion point. So what she means is the more you use it, the higher it climbs on your head. Uh, and in some cases, both sides could even meet in the middle of oh the top God. of your skull. So I hate it. historically, a number of um, Inuit skeletons were found in Greenland and they noted that all the grown female skulls had a giant ridge along the top of their heads. And scientists eventually figured out that in their society, men would go out early to hunt in the freezing cold and women would chew their animal hide boots to soften and warm them for hunting. Ugh. And they deduced this because the temporalis muscle was so overused that when the sides met in the middle, it pulled on the bone and generated new growth. So they had like oh a my ridge God. on their skull. And she said, we see this today in certain dog breeds that developed temporalis so large, it creates a similar ridge on their head because they are mouthy and often chew on like raw hiding bones. So Mm -hmm. you can like see this in dog breeds. Oh my God, so gross. That's so so cool. Yeah. Thanks, Emma. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Emma. That was so interesting. (laughs) Full disclosure, uh, when we got that email, I read it. And that very day, my boss was telling me, because she had gone to the dentist and I was like, how is the dentist's office? And she was like, oh good, I had to pick up my... um, my mouth guard. And I was like, why do you need a mouth guard? And she was like, well, apparently her, she's very stressed out. She, at in the middle of the night, she'll wake up. She doesn't grind her teeth. She just like clench down really hard. And so of course me being me, I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. Let me tell you this thing about the temporal, (laughs) temporis muscle and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and then you could, I was like, you better stop doing that because you'll get a ridge in the middle of your forehead. And she just like stood and looked at me and she was like, yeah, nope don't want that and was like oh okay and then like went it back into her office (laughs) so um thank you emma misinformation alienating (laughs) co-workers since 2017 yep 
and we will continue to do so. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think she's, I think she's over my, um, my constant, like, Oh, that's interesting. I just read a long form <laughs> article about this, this disgusting thing that you don't want to think fact. about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes. Thank you so much, Emma. That was a great listener submitted trivia. And uh, if you want to send us some listener-submitted trivia, well, let me tell you how you can do that. How can they get us, Lauren? Oh, well, you can get us at our email address, which is missinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at missinfopod. Um, we have a Facebook page, misinformation colon a trivia podcast. Feel free to post don't worry, on our wall. We won't steal your information. No, we don't want to steal your information. We want to provide information that is not anyone's personal information, just exactly. general information. General information. I feel like we need to say mm-hmm. that. Also, not for nothing, but Mark Zuckerberg has a weird face. Yeah, I liked all the Photoshop things that are him as data. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's it, good. It's pretty good. I think it's because he doesn't have any eyelashes. I was trying to figure yeah, out, like, what is okay. it about his eyes? He doesn't have a single eyelash. Also, his face is kind of flat. Yeah, he's got a flat, dumb face. <laughs> oh, I hate him. Um, but <laughs> what if you were you saying? I don't know. If you want to keep listening to us ramble on about things that we don't like and like, um, what, where can we, uh, hear oh, that? Oh gosh, Julia. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. Um, and recently, uh, no pressure. We, um, just connected to a PayPal account in case you want to throw a couple bucks our way with our tip jar. Um, that'll help us with hosting fees and any equipment upgrades. And we have links to that on Twitter and on our website www.missinfopod.com. And thank you so much to everybody who has contributed. Oh, yeah. You guys are amazing. Yeah, I was I was fully expecting it to just be my dad <laughs> um, into infinity. <laughs> <laughs> but we have been pleasantly surprised. So thank you so much to everyone who has contributed. We absolutely 100% yeah. appreciate Shout that. Shout out to Melanie P and Alex G. <laughs> also, Alex G is maintaining our spreadsheet of things that Lauren should watch slash read slash listen to yeah and um we tweeted or we linked to that this week too yes and also uh alex you can cross off clue now because i saw it (laughs) and i liked it if you want to put that down anyway (laughs) thanks for listening everybody (laughs) we will catch you next time Bye. bye